Well, good morning, church. If you would please open your Bibles and read the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is we continue a series called Light Up the World from Philippians chapter 2. Well, good morning. So glad to see you. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church, Broken Arrow. Thank you for braving the rain. And, you know, it's daylight savings time. Whoever's idea this was, hey, let's, let's get the fall back. Let's fall back. Let's lose an hour. No, not that great of an idea, right? Now, what I want to talk to you about today is how you can shine your light for Christ. We have always needed light. Why? Because light shows us the way. Light consumes darkness. Light reveals truth. Light radiates hope and gives confidence. Light keeps us on track. And as we study today, Philippians 2, verses 15 and 16, Paul is going to tell us where to shine are lights. As I was studying this week and kind of praying through this text, I, I thought of the image of a lighthouse. The lighthouse has been something that we have used for almost 1,700 years to light the way. Did you realize that the first lighthouse appears in Egypt right around the 4th century? Hundreds and hundreds of years later, as we continue to grow in commerce and expand opportunity all throughout Asia Minor, then countries would place these lighthouses, specifically Greece and Roman empires, to light the way. And as God began to bless, God used light to show the way and truth of prosperity. And like men of the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus, in speaking to his people on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, that says, you and I are to be a light for him. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine among others so that they'll see your good works and they'll glorify your Father in heaven, he says in Matthew 5, 16. Paul, in Philippians 2, has been teaching us how to live the Christian life in light of God actively working in our lives. Paul says we are not to complain. We are not to dispute with one another in verse 14 of Philippians 2. Pretty humbling thing, was it not? We are not to be caught up with trivial things. We are not to major on minor things, but rather we're to set our heart heavenward. We're to live our lives Christward, and thus we are to be everything that he declares we are to be. We are not to complain about the things God has given us or what he has entrusted us. Why? Because of who God is and what he has done. Complaining and disputing are barometers for our spiritual maturity. They are a real-life application of where we are in our relationship with the Lord. And in light of God loving us and in light of God being faithful to us, we're not to complain we're not to grumble or dispute, but rather we are to be who God says we are. We are to, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We are to be a light in darkness. We're to show the way by being who God says we are in Christ. And so what I want to do, as we study this text this morning, I want to inspire and encourage you to do just that to shine your light. Paul is going to give us three things in verses 15 and 16. Three reasons we are not to complain or dispute. Shine your light. With that in mind, why don't we study in depthly Philippians 2, verses 15 and 16. With that in mind, your Bible says this, that you 
may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you are to shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says we're not to have a case of the Mondays. We are to shine in light of who God is and what He has done. Why? Because he says that we are to be blameless and innocent before others. Paul begins verse 15 with a purpose clause. He further expounds on the implications of the finished work of Christ and thus the task of all believers. It is pointedly here so that you may become blameless and harmless is a better translation. God wants us to become more of who He declares we already are. You know, if we're not careful, we'll allow the world to impact our heart and thus consume our mind. And instead of listening to God, instead of preaching the gospel to ourselves, we'll listen to ourselves. And thus we'll forget the very thing that God declares we are. As God's children, we are justified in Christ. We are forever declared righteous. Our righteousness before the Father isn't based upon our feelings or emotions. It isn't based upon what you and I try to do, but in what Jesus Christ has already done. And in light of the finished work of Christ, God positionally declares us righteous. He says to us, despite our failures, despite our times of unfaithfulness, you are mine. You are chosen. You are set apart. And in light of this truth, Paul says we are to live out who God already declares we are. We are justified. We are also redeemed. We are granted everlasting freedom. Because of Jesus, we have freedom against the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And God works in us mightily as we continue to struggle against the presence of this sin. But we are redeemed. Oh, how we love to proclaim it. We are free. We were once enslaved to ourselves, enslaved to our desires and our temptations. No more. No more may they have dominion over us. No more may our shame weigh us down. But Christ, our King, reigns in us and through us. Why? Because we are redeemed. We're also, we're forgiven. All of our sin, the totality of our mess, can be used powerfully by God to be a message. Because God has, through Christ, forgiven our sin. We're free and we're forgiven. But He's an everlasting Father. He's a Prince of Peace. He's a mighty God. And He's forgiven your sin, past, present, and future. You know, it's by God's grace that the spring is upon us. And this baseball is here. Praise God. And so I was watching the game the other day with Major, my oldest son. And, man, this pitcher was throwing like 101 miles an hour. It seems like they all throw 100 now. Like, what in the world? And so Major said, Daddy, who's the best pitcher you've ever seen? And so I was thinking of this text, and I was thinking of standing before you. I said, you know what, Major? The best pitcher I ever saw was Jesus Christ. He kind of looks at me and said, what are you talking about? Really? I said, yes, son. He's the best arm I've ever seen. You want to know why? He says, why? 
I said, because according to Psalm 103, verse 12, Jesus throws our sin from the east to the west. He has forgiven you. You are free. You are justified. You are. Are you ready for this? You're adopted into his family. God doesn't treat us as outcasts. God loves us as a son and daughter of a king. God desires to dispose upon us the riches and spoils of his kingdom. Why? Not to grow our own kingdoms, but rather to expand and extend his kingdom. In light of who he is, we are. We are totally transformed in Christ. We are reconciled once and for all to God the Father. We have endless peace with the King of the universe. And to Paul, to be a child of God is to live for God. And so that is the impetus of his direction in verse 15. If we're not careful, we're so overwhelmed by how we're not doing these things. No, we are not to see this verse in light of what we try to do, but in what Jesus has done. And as a result of the finished work of Christ in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, now we are to do. We are to be blameless and innocent. This word blameless here can mean to be without blemish. To live in such a way without fault in our conduct. To live a life without blame. This word was used in the Old Testament to speak of a spotless animal set apart for God in sacrifice. It was also used of Jesus who was the spotless lamb of God in the New Testament. Paul uses this same word to describe us. A believer in Christ is positionally without blemish before God. Why? Because Jesus has paid for the totality of our sin on the cross. Thus, in light of what Christ has done, we are to continually strive in our character and our behavior to be free from blame, free from accusation, free from fault among others. We are to intentionally not allow the world to drive our emotions, to drive our reactions, but rather we are to be set in Christ and the overflow of that foundation. It's to direct every aspect of our lives. We're to be blameless and innocent. This word innocent here in verse 15 is really better translated harmless. It describes someone who is simple and pure. It can mean unmixed and unaltered. It was used this way in the ancient world to describe a wine or a metal that was not tainted. It was pure. Innocent was also used metaphorically by Jesus to describe someone who is completely pure and sincere in their faults. There is to be no evidence of sin having a stronghold over our lives. Paul is not talking here about a life of perfection, but rather a life that in its direction is surrendered completely to the Word of God and thus the will of God. And whatever God brings in our way, we are to respond in such a way that is blameless and innocent before others. You must be different to make a difference. As I begin to study this text, I begin to think of just 
where we are currently as a church and, and where we are even as a society and just, oh, the weight, oh, the burden, oh, the responsibility. But then that places the impetus of this text on us again, isn't it? And that's not what God has in mind. The focus of Philippians 2 is always to be on Christ, His work done for us, His continuing work in us. Jesus is not just a way of life. He is the way of life. And if we continue to live a life for Jesus, I assure you we'll be different from this world. And as we continue to be different, God will make a difference through us. Isn't it amazing to me that in this world with this proliferation of, of media and access and all of these things, it's these simple, pure things that you begin to long and crave for. In other words, my family, every Friday night, we have family movie night at our household. So, man, we go to QT off here at Hillside, and we get an extra large icy that we share. We get some popcorn here at Target, and it's family movie night. Now, we rotate our choices, but, you know, most of the time it's kind of predictable movies that you would think of. And if we can't find anything, our fallback is always the Andy Griffith show. And one of the reasons why I love Andy Griffith is that in any episode, you can watch these shows and it's safe. I don't have to worry about, whoa, what? Uh, didn't expect that. Or where's the channel turner? Where's the mute button? Don't ever have to do any of that. I can just sit back and enjoy the blamelessness and innocence of this show. Well, we were watching this show the other night, and, and it was in black and white. And, and then the next show we watched was in color. And our kids said, well, wait a minute. Why, why was the first one in black and white? How old is this show? So I said, well, you know, it started in 1960, and, you know, that's just how they recorded shows back then. And so they asked, well, wait a minute. So are, are any of these characters still alive? And I said, well, you know, not very many of them. And so then they started asking, well, wait a minute, did, did they go to heaven then? I said, well, if they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they did. And, you know, many of these characters were, were very vocal about their faith in Jesus Christ after this show. And what do you know what the Lord and his sense of humor, the moment I answered this question, Opie gets in trouble for stealing something. And Major looks at me and goes, I don't think he makes it. <laughs> you know, church, we hear these verses in Philippians 2. Oh, how the temperature of the room was raised last week when we studied verse 14. Do all things without grumbling, complaining, disputing. <laughs> and then we read verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent. You see, because of he, we strive to be. There is nothing in this text that says we are to make more of ourselves. But rather, the further we go in this text, the more and more we humbly admit we need Jesus Christ. And in light of the totality of what Christ has done, you and I are free to be everything that he's called us to be. And so before we move from this thought, I want to give you four things, four ways in which we can live a blameless and innocent life before others. Four ways. Number one, we, when we die to self and we be empowered by God's word, the moment we give our life to Christ, we are admitting, displaying on the outside what we fervently believe on the inside, that we're not in charge, that we are not king. 
And thus positionally, the Bible says that you and I have died. We are no longer on the seat of our throne of our lives. We no longer admit that we are to rule and reign in and of ourselves, but yet we are surrendering our life to King Jesus, his reign in and through us. And thus every single day then, we are to look to Christ and to look in the mirror. We're to look to Christ for our identity. We're to look to Christ for our strength and inspiration. We're to look to Christ for the way of life through the scriptures. We are then humbly to look at ourselves and to say, Lord, in light of your word, is there an area which I'm not measuring up? Lord, in light of your word, is there an area in which you are desiring to grow my faith? Lord, in light of your word and your son, is there an area of my life that you're wanting me to trust you in? We die to self. We're being empowered by the word of God. Which then secondly, we then confess and repent of our sin. We have to be willing to be corrected without being offended. Confession in the New Testament is a word that simply just means to agree. Lord, we agree. We fall short of your glory. Lord, we agree that you are king, that you are Lord over our lives. Lord, we agree that we tend to do things that we want to do as opposed to following your word in obedience. Lord, we agree that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that all of life finds its sum in you. So we confess and we repent. We turn from our way of thinking. We place our trust not in ourselves, but in Christ. We give our hearts in adherence to God's word, not man's word, not even our own word. Lord, we confess and we repent of our sin. Which then means thirdly, if we're going to leave blameless in us, we better be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our lives are full, all of us, which means then we must be filled. Spiritual transformation requires all of us and all of him. So as the moment we start the day, then we say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with the very power that you use to shape the universe, to sustain the galaxy. Fill and empower me for your glory today. Live a life that is blameless and that is innocent, which then means, fourthly, we need to daily embrace the gospel. May we find our motivation in what Christ has already done for us and continues to do in us. May we see the reality of who we are in light of what Christ has done. Then may we live by faith, faith in a world that needs the gospel by trusting that God will work mightily in and through us. Christ, you have done this in me, and Lord, you are doing this in me for your glory. Shine your light. Now, secondly, Paul says we're not to complain or dispute. One, because that may we be blameless and innocent. 
Secondly, why? Because we are children of God, that's why. And as a result of who we are, we are to live without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, contextually, this is fascinating. Paul proves this point by referencing here Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. And if we were to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, you would find a series of sermons by Moses. Moses was one of the most revered figures in the entire Old Testament. And in this song of Moses, Moses is giving glory to the Lord by recounting the ways in which he has been faithful to his people. But consequently, instead of God's people being faithful to God, they were faithful to themselves. They were faithful in the rebellion against God. And yet here the Lord is, still lovingly shepherding his people, still faithfully being, keeping his hand upon his people. And Paul uses this same example given by Moses to prove this point. That the rebellious, grumbling, unethical actions of God's people in the Old Testament will not characterize God's people right now. That we will learn from our past to secure our future. That we will not allow the whims of the world to overwhelm our hearts. That we will give our minds to the Word of God and to the mission of Christ. And that we will be who God declares we already are. Christ followers as children of God are to represent God by becoming more like Christ, who perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. Now think about this. Negative, inward, distracted, and unethical people do not live positive, connected, humble lives. So Paul says, we are children of God, that we are to live without blemish, that we are to be blameless and innocent. And we're to do this right in the epicenter of a crooked and twisted generation. It is imperative that others see the work of Christ working in our lives with their own eyes. You want to know why? Because we become what we worship, that's why. What we allow our hearts to be captivated by, what we allow our minds to be consumed by, our life will follow. We must be different to make a difference. We are to be salt and light. We are to allow the Lord to shine in and through us, and God will make his way straight, even in a crooked and twisted generation. Now, this word crooked here is fascinating. It's from the word scolios. It means to be bent out of shape, out of alignment. Is that a more apt summation of where we are as a society? Out of alignment, bent out of shape to God's Word and God's will? It's where we get the word scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. It still affects three million Americans each and every year. We are to be different. 
We are to live out the truth of God's word. And can I tell you that people are dying for the glory of God? Your neighbors and your coworkers, your friends, even family members, they're dying for the glory of God. And so God says, shine. Shine as who you are, a light, my light for my glory. Throughout history, Christians have always been instructed to make godly, Christ-centered decisions to live out in such a way ethically and morally in their behavior that is in alignment with God's Word to God's mission. Christ followers are to live and give what they possess in Christ. We are to steward well the gift of salvation in and through us. We are to display God's love. We are to demonstrate God's peace. We are to live out his joy. We are to show his patience. We're to multiply his goodness and faithfulness among others. Because we are children of God. Our Father is in control. And there is nothing in our lives that will not come to us before coming to him first. And whatever it is he gives us, The Bible says in Romans 8 that this is for our ultimate good, our betterment, and for His glory. Shine your light. Be blameless and innocent among others because you are a child of God. Thirdly then, Paul says we're not to complain. We're not to dispute. We're to shine in verse 15. We're to shine as lights. Now, interestingly, Paul could be referencing here Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, kind of a fitting summation to the glory of God through his people in the Old Testament. That may be why Paul renders this verse, you must shine as lights. You see this word shine here? It's of a word in the New Testament. Are you ready for this? It's an astronomy term. It was used in the Old Testament to describe the sun and the moon and the stars. It was used figuratively of Adam and Israel and God's law as they were considered light bearers to God's people. Paul says we are to shine as lights. We are called to be what God's people in the Old Testament failed to be. We're to shine for him. We are to live our lives, to demonstrate God's truth, God's light in a dark, twisted world. And did you know that God in his goodness gives us a reminder of this every day? I mean, every night, you can look up and see who you are. We have the North Star in our galaxy. It is also known as Polaris. And would you know it that in God's providence, the axis of the earth aligns perfectly with the North Star. And thus, consequently, the North Star gives the appearance that it never moves. All other stars rotate around the North Star. And the North Star has been called by astronomers 
as the anchor of the sky. In like manner, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, shines in you. So much so that as a result of who Jesus is, his love overflows in our lives in such a way that gives love and joy and peace and hope to others as we continue to love and pursue him. Shine your light. You know, we had an example of this this week in our church. We have a ministry that for years here, over a decade, that we've been trying to shine a light in a specific aspect of our community. We've been trying to take this sports culture and use sports as a means to show the light of Jesus Christ. And so on Monday night, we had 575 people in here celebrating the end of basketball season. And we had a chance through that celebration to present the gospel, to point people to the true light, Jesus Christ. And church, we celebrate, did you realize, we had 25 kids accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that night. Praise God. In light of that truth, as we walk out this hill and do life, we are to be who we are. We're to shine as light. It is often a person will not trust Christ until they can trust a Christ follower. You may be the only Jesus someone will ever see. You may be the loudest gospel that anyone will ever hear. And if they can't trust Jesus in you, it is less likely they'll ever trust Jesus, period. I saw this in my own life. My granddad accepted Christ at 82 years old. I shared the gospel with him 16 separate times until he came to faith in Christ. And three months before he died, we were sitting in his living room, me and my dad and my granddad, and we were watching a football game like we've done a thousand times. And it was in a commercial that my granddad looked at me and said, Maddie, will you tell me about Jesus one more time? And he accepted Christ right there. Now, I had shared Christ with my granddad more passionately and clearly 15 previous times. But yet my granddad, a very wise man, he saw Jesus and his gospel change me. And he knew that there was something different about me and my mom and my dad and my sisters. And it was in the convergence of those two realities that my granddad said, tell me about Jesus. I can't help but wonder how many people God has placed around you that is dying for you to tell them about Jesus. God is willing. Are we available? Shine as lights. Now, how do we do this? Look at verse 16. Paul says we shine as lights by holding fast to the word of life. 
This word hold here is an adhesive term. It means holding firm. Hold your gaze. Keep your attention. Stay put. Don't be moved. Literally allow the word that leads to life to impact every aspect of your life. Paul is referring here not only to the Scriptures, but pointedly to the gospel, the means in which God regenerates and regulates our desires and behaviors. It's through His Word and His Son. No wonder the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp into my feet and a light to my path. We must continually bring our minds under the authority of Scripture because it is that authority that then gives us a desire to follow and to trust what God commands us to do through the power of Jesus Christ. Desires determine the direction of our hearts, and our response to those desires determine the direction of your life. So are you desiring this morning to hold fast to the Word? Are you giving the Word of God its priority in your life, and thus the God of the Word? God, there are so many things that I can listen to. I can listen to culture, I can listen to social media, I can even listen to myself. But no, Paul says, hold fast to the Word. When you pray to God, it is you speaking to God. When you read your Bible, it is God speaking to you. And God has a word for you at any time, in any place, and anywhere. Paul says, hold fast. Remain. Keep your heart and your eyes and your mind on Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul ends, verse 16, with this pastoral heart shining. For his desire is for these Philippians to make him rejoice by their steadfast faith on the day of Christ. He says in verse 16, so that in the day of Christ, that I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, this phrase is only found right here in the New Testament. The day of Christ is specifically for believers. It focuses not on punishment, but rewards. Paul uses here an athletic imagery of a runner who expires in exhaustion He uses every fiber, every muscle of his being to selflessly pursue and finish the race to achieve the prize. And he uses this to detail what we are to do spiritually in the genuineness of our faith that we may live in such a way that one day before Jesus that we will give all that he has given to us back to him. I usually run every Saturday. And God in his kindness, last week I ran over five miles, killed it. It was just wonderful. Yesterday, I barely made four miles and was crawling to the end, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was rough. It was really rough. And as I continued to run and to pray for you this morning, I kept feeling in my heart, keep going. Keep going, keep going. 
And as Paul concludes this point, he is reminding us that we are to live every day in light of that day. You see, there'll be trials in this life. There'll be twists and turns. There'll be times of blessing and times of barrenness. And all of these are given to us by God today to get us ready for that day. You see, one day, your faith will become sight. And every longing and every desire, every time you've been stretched, every moment where you said, I'm ready to quit, but yet God didn't quit you, will be given to you face to face with Jesus Christ. And so until we're in front of our King, the light of the world, shine your light. Give everything you have with everything you have to live today for him and trust God today. His sovereignty and his sufficiency will be enough for today until you're with him on that day. Shine your light. Who is it that God is wanting you to shine in front of this week? Where is it that God is asking you to shine this week? God desires you to be more of who he declares you already are. Light up this world. Shine your light.